You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. We're going to be continuing our series this morning looking at uh, the parables of Jesus. We're calling them Kingdom Stories. Jesus spoke a lot about the Kingdom of God. And sometimes we see it in the Gospels that it's referred to as the Kingdom of Heaven. That's the same thing that's being referred to there. Um, Some of the writers of the Gospels were writing for a Jewish audience, and it would have been offensive to them to see the word God written down. Um, So Matthew, for example, uh, refers to it as the kingdom of heaven. But we're talking about the same thing here, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus spoke a lot about the kingdom, and we speak a lot about the kingdom here. And uh, in these parables, Jesus was uh, telling stories that uh, unpacked really profound truths about the kingdom of God. And you might be thinking to yourself this morning, what is the kingdom of God? It's all very well hearing stuff about the kingdom, but what does it even mean? Well, primarily the kingdom is not a place, not a place like an earthly kingdom, where the queen, for example, has the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. That's, her, that's where she reigns. Um, this is not primarily a place. It's primarily God's saving and redeeming reign. It's where he reigns in people's lives. Where, those, uh, where people are experiencing God's reign and rule in their lives, that is where the kingdom of God is present. And the Apostle Paul, um, who was one of the earliest uh, Christian uh, leaders, really, Christian missionaries, he writes in Romans chapter 14 about the kingdom of God. He says this, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So he's saying that it's, it's not a matter of a place, it's not a matter of uh, certain things that we do, but it's a matter of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So where we're experiencing true righteousness, that's where we, we see that in and of ourselves we're not good enough to be in God's uh, family, we're not good enough to be acceptable to God. When we receive the righteousness of Jesus, true righteousness that covers us and that out of that then flows right living, when we, see, when we have true peace, that even in the midst of turbulence going on all around the world, when we know true peace because we know the one who sits on the throne, because we know the king, that's what it means to be in the kingdom. When we know true joy, that uh, no matter what the changing fads of this world might be, the things that people run after to experience pleasure, we know the one who ultimately gives pleasure. That is what it means to be in the kingdom. When we're experiencing true righteousness, true peace, true joy in the Holy Spirit, that's what it means to be in the kingdom. So, that, so wherever there are people experiencing those things, that is where the kingdom of God is. I hope that's helpful for people to understand. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. And the kingdom of God came when Jesus uh, came to earth. He said the kingdom of God is here. And it's going to be here in its fullness when Jesus returns. And we sung about that this morning when all suffering, all sickness, all death will be banished from creation. It's been a bit of a a week of bad news, hasn't it? We've had threats of nuclear war. We've had disease. We've seen political corruption in different nations. We've seen uh, really awful exploitation of uh, teenagers in cities in this country. We've seen slavery in this country. We thought we'd seen the back of it, but we really haven't. There's slavery, modern-day slavery going on. We've seen uh, just last night in the U.S. some horrendous acts of racism and hatred uh, taking place. We've seen, we see death all around us. The kingdom is not here in its fullness yet. But when Jesus comes, all of those things will be banished. Hallelujah. Is that good news this morning? All of those things will be gone because Jesus is going to return. 
So we're going to come today to a couple more stories about the kingdom of God, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. So if you have a Bible with you, you might want to turn there uh, now. Matthew is the first of the uh, different biographies, the Gospels, uh, biographies of Jesus' life and death and his, his teachings and his resurrection. And we're looking at Matthew chapter 13 today. So Jesus has been uh, telling stories about the kingdom to people. The crowds have been gathering around him. Some have been really confused. They haven't got a clue what he's talking about. And in this uh, moment here, he's gathered the disciples into a house. They're just he and his disciples together. And he says this to them. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The thing that Jesus is causing his disciples to ask through this parable is this. What is more valuable than anything else in the world? What is worth more than anything else in all creation? In all existence, what is the most worthy thing? What is of most value? And this is a particularly pertinent question uh, this week because today uh, this guy who's going to come up on the screen now is uh, starting his first match for Paris Saint-Germain. This is Neymar. Uh, He's a Brazilian footballer. And last week, he was signed by Paris Saint-Germain from Barcelona for 222 million euros, which is equivalent to about 200 million pounds. In that signing, uh, he has more than doubled the world record. Okay, so the previous most expensive footballer was about 90 million pounds. This guy has just been bought for 200 million pounds. Just to put this in context, I love these kinds of things. That would buy you 10 fighter jets. It would pay for 1,000 people to journey to space and back. It would be able to cover Barcelona in spaghetti. (laughs) That was a great one I read this week. It would buy you six, uh, six Greek islands. I think that's probably a better deal than one footballer, in my opinion. You'd be able to buy Windsor Castle for 200 million pounds. That's pretty good, right? It's not for sale. More soberingly, you could educate one million Indian children for one year. There's millions of children in India without an adequate education. You could run a Syrian refugee camp in Turkey for 11 years. We come to this guy's wages. He is earning £942,308 per week. That's £49 million per year. That's £5,594 per hour, and it's £1.55 a second. The UK average wage per year is £27,271. Neymar will have earned that in four hours' time. If he started now, he'll have earned that in four hours' time. He'll have earned more than most of us here in the next four hours. This seems wrong, doesn't it? It seems wrong. But people really believe that Neymar is worth that much money. Otherwise, they wouldn't have paid that money for him. There's some people who really believe this is a worthwhile investment of their money. There's people who really do value football as as higher worth than anything else in the world. And it might sound crazy to say this, but if there is no God, 
if there is no absolute morality, there's, no, there's nothing that is definitively right and wrong, then there's absolutely nothing wrong with anyone paying £200 million for a footballer. Don't hear what I'm not saying here. Often when I say this to friends that I'm uh, discussing uh, Christianity with, they might say, well, hang on a minute. Are you saying that I need to be a Christian in order to do good? Or you know, are you saying I can't be good without God? I'm saying here that if there's no right and wrong, if there's no absolute morality, then it's fair play that this guy is earning £900,000 a week. There's no obligation to the poor. There's no obligation to those in need. If there's no God, then really it's every man for himself. We can just spend our money how we wish. And we decide what's valuable. And we decide what is of the greatest worth. We make it up. It's subjective as to the way we feel. If there's no God, that's the way we should approach life. That's the logical way to approach life. It would be illogical to suggest that there are certain things we should and should not do with our money if there is no God. I'm not making a point here about evolution or anything else. I'm just saying here, if, there's no, if, if, if we are just simply evolved animals and there's no image of God being placed within us, no, then, then surely it's fair play that this guy could be bought and sold for 200 million pounds. There's nothing wrong with it. But Jesus, in these parables, he cuts through all of that and says, no, there is a greater reality than the physical. There is a creator behind it all. There is something, there is someone who is worth more than anything else. There is something that you need to have in your life. There's something that you need. There's something of greatest value. There's more than just a fight for survival. There's more than just subjective morality. There's more than just every man for himself. Jesus here is saying there's something of supreme worth. And he tells two stories that make the same point. The first story is about a guy who just stumbles across some treasure in a field. We don't think he's looking for it. He's probably working the field. He's probably just doing his day-to-day job. Most people there would have worked in agriculture. He's just working in a field, and he stumbles across some treasure. He's not going out of his way to search for truth. He's not going out of his way to look for something of greater value than what he has experienced to date. He is just doing the day-to-day. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're, just, you're going about the day-to-day. You're, just, you're, you're eating, you're sleeping, you're working, you're repeating. That's what it looks like for you. But, you know, this guy, even though he's not looking for it, he stumbles across something that changes everything for him. He stumbles across some treasure. He covers it up. And in his joy, he goes away and sells everything he has in order to buy that field. Don't get caught up on the fact that he covered it up. He's just doing what you and I do when we see a shirt in a shop and we think, well, I want to see if there's a better shirt out there. I'm just going to put it to the back rail for a minute and I'll come back and get it a little bit later on. I do that all the time because I'm a bargain hunter. I want to make sure that I'm getting the best deal for my money. I'll put it behind some horrible jumpers that no one's going to look at and I'll come back and get it a little bit later on. That's exactly what this guy's doing. He sees, he sees something that is greater than the monotony of life. He sees something that's better than eating and sleeping and working and repeating, he sees something that takes his attention and he has to have it. He has to have it. It's unexpected. He hasn't been looking for it. I met a guy just a couple of weeks ago here who said, I went traveling and I, 
I wasn't looking for God and I met some Christians and I spent a couple of weeks with some Christians and I have never seen anyone living out their faith in a way that they have and now I have to know what this is all about. He's met, he's met Christians halfway across the world and now he's here and he's saying, I, know, I need to know what this is all about. He wasn't looking for it, just like this guy wasn't looking for it. So that's the first guy. And then we see the second guy is this seeker. He has thrown all of his energies into the search for pearls. He's a thinker. He's someone who, who is not content with uh, just life as it is. He's, not, he's someone who's saying, I'm not just going to go along with uh, what everyone would tell me, that life is an accident, that we're here by chance, that it's just about survival and reproduction and entertainment. It's just about having as much sex as we can have. It's just about having as much money as I can get, as much stuff as I can get. No, he's not satisfied with that. And he's saying, I'm going to go on a search for pearls. I'm going to go on a search for a pearl that will be greater than any other pearl. He is a seeker. He's a thinker. It's so important that we're thinkers. It's so important that we don't just, uh, just let the world uh, shape our, uh, our mindset and our worldview. If you're not a believer in Jesus here, let me urge you to be a thinker. Don't just accept what you're told uh, in the media and in education and in our culture that this is just one big accident. Don't just accept it. Search and search and search for truth. Search for meaning. Charles Spurgeon, who was a preacher from hundred or so years ago, he said, thinking is an occupation that a great many persons altogether dislike. They are frivolous. We cannot get them to think about anything. It was the same problem then as it is now. People are not thinkers. They're not, they're not giving thought to existence. You know, I know so many people who, who genuinely believe against all the odds that this is all one big accident. And you show them the stats and you say, look, if, if this was an accident, this is how many millions of zeros need to be on a number in order for this to be not just a, com- you know, a complete accident. This is, this is so obviously designed, this world. And people say, no, I believe it was an accident. I believe it was an accident. And I don't believe people really deep down believe it is. But we want to kind of suppress the truth. We want to kind of say, I, d- I just don't want to know. Because if there's a God, then he might have some things to say about the way I live my life. He might have some things to say about what I value and what I treasure. Be thinkers. Most people are like the first guy, stuck on entertainment, stuck on just constantly refreshing their Twitter feed or their sports pages or their uh, stuck on celebrity programs and Love Island and all that kind of stuff, scared to think. But if you met this second guy, you would be, you'd be clear that he has an aim in his life. He has a clear aim. It's to find out truth. It's to discover truth about life. If you were to ask most men today, what's your one aim in life? I don't think many could tell you. I don't think many could tell you. If you asked a friend this week, what is your one aim in life? I think many would say, I haven't got one. I haven't got one. Not many people are thinking about a legacy. Not many people are thinking about their tombstone. What's going to say about you when you die? Not many people are thinking about what it is they're aiming for. And this guy had a noble quest, which was, I need to find a pearl of great price. He was looking for pearls. He was looking for things that were outstanding. I'm going to find out what is true. I'm not content to accept life being devoid of truth and meaning. I'm going to live for what is true. This guy, he discriminates between good and bad pearls. 
And this pearl, this one pearl that he found, it put an end to his search. The kingdom of God, salvation, the reign of God in our lives, bringing true righteousness, bringing true peace, bringing true joy. It brings an end to our search. It brings an end to our search for those who are seeking it. Those who are seeking truth. He resolved to have it. You know, he would have looked foolish, wouldn't he? He would have looked so foolish going into the marketplace trying to sell off his uh, additional uh, robes, his furniture, maybe the other pearls that he had. Well, certainly the other pearls he had. Any jewelry he had, he was selling it off. Everything must go because I've got to buy this pearl of greatest price. I've got to buy this pearl that's unlike any pearl I've ever seen. He would have looked foolish. And friends, this morning, I want to tell you, you will look foolish. You will look foolish if you prioritize the pearl of great price. You will look foolish if you, if you place Jesus as the number one priority in your life. If you see him as more valuable than anything else, you will look foolish. People will say, why on earth are you, why are you giving away your money? Why are you giving away your time? Why are you sacrificing that comfort? Why are you helping that person? Why are you doing that? Why, why are you sacrificing that promotion because your boss isn't too fond of Christians? Why, why don't you just lay that down or be quiet about it? You will look foolish. You will look foolish at times. R.T. Kendall says, Your money, your reputation, your love for the world, fear of what people might say, it will all pale into insignificance when we truly experience the kingdom of God. When we truly see God for who he is, when we see the king on the throne, when we grasp his kingdom, all of those things, they will pale into insignificance. They will seem far less significant than they would have done before you saw the pearl. Before you saw the pearl, all you could think of was, I've got to, let, I've got to get people to like me. I've got to have comfort in life. I've got to have stuff. I've got to have experiences that my friends are experiencing. I've got to see the world like they're seeing it. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. But then when you see the pearl, you think, no, actually, compared to this pearl, that is not worth it. That is not worth it. That's what happens when you get hold of, when you see it, when you see the king on his throne. How can we do this? Well, we see that Jesus is the be-all and end-all. He's not just one more pearl. He's the be-all and end-all of the pearls. He's the end of the searching. Last week, we had 40-something teenagers at New Day. Huge youth camp up in Norwich. Thousands of teenagers gathering together. And I dropped in on New Day for a day. And the young people were playing this game where they started off with an object. And they had to trade up throughout the day. They had to try and get the most impressive thing through trading um, by the end of the day. And uh, one guy who may be here this morning and shall remain nameless uh, came to me and said, I swapped a can of Pringles for a can of baked beans. Do you think I've got a good deal? And I, he had no can opener, no means to heat these beans. I said, I don't think you've got a very good deal. But one young lady managed to somehow trade one pea and by the end of the day, she had 15 pounds. And I thought to myself, we need to put her in charge of our building fund. We really do. This girl needs to be put in charge right now. You know, when we see Jesus as the be-all and end-all, when we see him as the pearl of greatest price, any trade-off is a good trade-off. 
in order to have Jesus, in order to know him. Anything that we let go of is a good deal. It's not that we somehow buy Jesus. It's not somehow we buy salvation. But anything we let go of in order to make him the number one priority in our lives, it's a good trade-off. It's a good deal. Is that right? Have you found that to be true in your life? That anything we might let go of in order to place Jesus on his throne, it's a good deal. You know, I've, I've uh, got the privilege of leading the staff team here at Hope Church, and most of our staff, you need to know this, are addicted to coffee, all right? You need to pray for them. Uh, maybe I work them too hard, I don't know. I don't like the stuff myself, but I've got a lot of coffee connoisseurs in my office. And uh, when it comes to uh, coffee time, these guys are pretty, they're pretty particular about what they like. If you came in with instant coffee, you would get a really, really dirty look. People would, would not be at all happy. Some of them have got instruments I've never seen before that they use to make coffee. Some of them, it, it looks like, I have to kind of ask, are you doing drugs here? But as clarity comes, no, it's some sort of coffee-making machine. You know, these guys have tasted good coffee. They've tasted really, really good coffee. They cannot now go back to instant. They, they cannot go back there. And the Bible says, taste and, taste and see that the Lord is good. I got an amen then. I don't normally get amens. Let's have a few more amens, all right? You know, we need to be a bit more interactive, church. You know, if, you, if there's a good point, I want to hear an amen, not just about coffee. When we, when we taste and see that God is good, when we taste and see, not just hear some facts about him, when we experience him, when we walk with him, we can't go back. We can't go back to the things that we once ran headlong after. We can't, we can't say, I want that, when I've tasted and seen how good God is. This is what happened to this merchant when he saw the pearl. He said, I can't, I can't go back to collecting these little pearls. I can't go back to collecting these ordinary pearls. I've seen a pearl that is greater than anything I've ever seen. I can't go back to ordinary. I can't go back to instant coffee. I've seen something which is far, far greater. I can't go back there anymore. We're all chasing after happiness, aren't we? We're all chasing after it. It's undeniable. We're chasing after joy. We're chasing after happiness. Blaise Pascal, who was a, a mathematician and a kind of philosopher from a few hundred years ago, he said this, All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. Okay, so we never do anything that's not really going to ultimately lead to happiness. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. We're all chasing after happiness. The Bible, surprisingly, you might think, doesn't condemn the search for happiness. It doesn't say... You know, you should be really looking for misery. Misery is more holy. Misery is, you know, solemnness. You know, that, that's, that's more holy, more godly. No. God wants us to search after joy. He wants us to search after happiness. But he shows us again and again that we're looking in all the wrong places. Again and again we see in the scriptures that we're, we're creatures who search for happiness in all the wrong places. The Apostle Paul, who I mentioned earlier, he sought happiness and joy in all the wrong places. He was a guy who had a great pedigree. He was from the best tribe in his, in his nation. He had the best education. He had a lot of respect. He, people really loved the guy. And he saw his identity in that. 
But when he came to know Jesus, that paled into insignificance. He said, says this in Philippians 3, whatever gain I had, he's just listed all of the various things that he once held dear, the things that he once took a hold of. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Isn't that a picture of these guys in these parables? Isn't that a picture of that? They've seen something. They've seen this pearl. They've seen a treasure in the field. And they've now suffered the loss of all things in order to have Jesus as their king. And you know, we might once have placed Jesus on the throne. We might once have said, no, Jesus, it's all about you. I'm living for you. You're the thing of most value and most worth in our lives. But we can kind of lose our focus, can't we? We can kind of lose our focus and start to focus on the other things that maybe we once ran after. We can sometimes let that slip from our minds and suddenly it's, it's, it's treasure that we're running after and not Jesus himself. And Jesus tells a parable in Luke chapter 12 that really illustrates this. Let's just find this together. Luke chapter 12. I'm going to read 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care, this is important, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. We're going to read on in a moment, but take note of that. He says, be on your guard. There's an implication there that whilst we might once have said, Jesus, it's all about you. We might once have said, Jesus, I'm living for you and nothing else. The fact that we have to be on our guard implies that there might be something that could slip back in for us that would kind of distract our focus on Jesus as the one that we're living for, okay? And Jesus goes on to tell this parable. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. I think Jesus had the greatest insight into the human heart than any philosopher or thinker before or since. Jesus spoke a lot about wealth because he knows that whether you're rich or poor, wealth is a huge idol. It's a huge deal. And we strive after it. Even those of us who have said, Jesus, I, I'm all in on this and I really want you above anything else. He says here, be on your guard. Be on your guard. Be, on, be looking out. Watch your heart. He knew that unless we're focusing on Jesus, unless we're treasuring him as the, the pearl of great plot price, 
our hearts will then start to go after the bigger and better. We want bigger and better, bigger and better. And the key here is in these last few words. Be rich towards God. Have a heart that's after God. Let's let's have hearts that are after him and not earthly riches. Don't be confused here with what Jesus is not saying. It's not wealth that gets you into God's kingdom. You don't buy God off. It's that you prize his reign more than anything else. It's that you prize him above anything else. Why don't we do that? Well, sometimes it's this. Because we simply believe that the good news is this. It's a get out of hell free card. That's if we simply believe that the good news is just when I when I come when I die and go to judgment, I'm going to avoid hell. If that is just it, then we've missed something huge here. And it is that it is salvation from eternal punishment, eternal separation from God. But it's so much more than that as well. It's so much more than that. We've been saved into a kingdom. We've saved into a kingdom and we now have a king. We now have a good king. A good king who's far better than any ruler. And he's our friend. He's our father. He's our savior. And this king offers pleasure. In Psalm 16, this is great, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. The psalmist writes this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This king offers pleasure. This king who I said earlier on, he's not, he doesn't uh, lament the fact that we're searching after happiness. He wants us to search for happiness, but he wants us to find it in him. This king offers pleasure. He reigns. He offers us pleasure that the world cannot. He reigns. He's working all things together for our good. That's good news, isn't it? <clears throat> so the, the good news is not simply a get out of hell free card. It's an invitation into true life. It's an invitation into knowing God, into knowing him as our father, into knowing his pleasure that he offers us. So in light of this, we keep our eyes fixed on the king. In light of this, we keep our minds and our hearts fixed on him. We don't get distracted by all that the world would offer us. We are rich towards God. We have a heart that is for him. There's no problem being successful in business. That's not the point of this parable. There's no problem with being successful in business if you keep this priority, I'm going to be rich towards God. I'm going to be rich towards him. Now, I need to love you well today. This parable that we've read, these parables about the hidden treasure and the pearl of great value, these are sandwiched in between two pretty difficult parables, two pretty, pretty tricky stories. These are, these are parables about judgment. And oftentimes we'll think, I want to flick over those and get to the more fluffy ones. I want to get to the ones that will encourage me. But all of Scripture is God-breathed. And these parables we need to know. Just a few verses after these parables about the pearl of great value, Jesus says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think Matthew is very deliberate in placing 
these parables about the pearl of great value and of the hidden treasure, right in between two parables about judgment. His point is this. There is a judgment coming, and the way that we know that we're going to be with Jesus forever is if we treasure him higher than anything else in our lives. If we really see him as the pearl of greatest value, not reputation, not popularity, not earthly pleasures, not riches, but if we see him, Jesus, knowing him as our king, knowing the true righteousness, the true peace, the true joy that we spoke about earlier. When we have him, we can know we will be with him forever. And we need to know that there is a judgment coming. And that's hard for us. But if we have Jesus, we know we're going to be with him forever. We treasure him. We hold on to him. We're going to be with him forever. He really is far greater than anything else the world could offer. He really is the pearl of great price. When we come to judgment, we won't be able to offer up our own righteousness and say, look, look, Jesus, I did a pretty good job in my life. Yeah, I made a few mess ups, but I made up for them. I gave, I gave 10% of my money to church or I, I looked after my neighbors who are poor. You know, the Bible calls our own righteousness, our own efforts to be right with God. It calls them filthy garments, filthy rags. We won't be able to offer them to God and say, look, I, I did my best. So it won't be enough. The only thing we can appeal to is the righteousness of Jesus that has been accredited to us, that has been given to us. And we can say, look, I'm in, I'm in because of the pearl of great price. I'm coming in because I know him. I'm coming in because I've seen him to be more valuable than anything else in this world. That's my confidence when I come before the judgment of Jesus. That's my confidence that I know Jesus. This morning, friends, if, you, if you're here and you think, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to be good enough. I'm trying to kind of work my way to God. Let me tell you, you will fail. You will fail. The only way that you'll get through, the only way that you'll be with him for eternity is to say, I know Jesus. I've seen him to be the answer to my life searching. I've seen him to be the one who offers true pleasure. I've seen him, and he's my king. He's the one who's on the throne in my life. It's not me. I've surrendered it all. I've surrendered my own kingdom. It's been swallowed up in the kingdom of Jesus. Seeing him as worthy of everything. How will we be made right? Because Jesus gave up everything for the joy set before him. Jesus gave up everything. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer says this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The way that we can come in, the way that we can know forgiveness, is because Jesus, because of the joy set before him, the joy of us and billions of others coming into his family, he willingly gave up everything. 
like these guys who saw the pearl and they thought, I've got to get rid of everything else because I've got to have this pearl. Jesus willingly gave up everything because of the joy set before him. To see you and I coming into the family of God. To see you and I coming into his kingdom. To see you and I redeemed, restored. That was the joy set before Jesus. And he willingly gave up his life. He willingly gave up the comfort of heaven. The adoration of the angels. The fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He came down to earth. And he walked in Perfect obedience to his father. He he walked in perfect obedience to God's ways. And then he handed his life over to be tortured and beaten and crucified. And in doing that, he took away all of our sin and our shame. He took away all of the things that we've ran after. the, The pearls that don't even compare to the great pearl, the things that we, uh, we, we filled our lives with. He on the cross took the punishment for the things that our wrongdoing deserve. Surely he is worth it all. Surely he's worthy of our praise. Surely he's worthy of our adoration. Surely he's worthy of our focus. I want to call you this morning to a, a refocus to see Jesus for who he is, to see Jesus as the one who's worthy of our attention and our praise. A couple of years ago at Christmas time, um, our girls got scooters. And uh, they've been scooting ever since. That, like, if you ever see my wife and our children around town, it's likely that my girls will be scooting along. And uh, that Christmas morning, I was filming them, their reaction as they came downstairs and saw their presence around the tree. And for about five minutes, maybe more, felt like an eternity, they were playing with all the rubbish presents. They were playing with all of the ones that are from Poundland that will be discarded in a few weeks' time. They were really excited by the wrapping, and they were rolling around on the floor, cuddling these toys that seemed so naff. They really weren't great presents. They were stocking fillers. And all the while, in plain sight... There was these scooter-shaped presents. It was so obviously scooters. Even to three-year-olds, they were so obviously scooters, just sitting there. And I had said a few times, I was watching the video back the other day, I said a few times, girls, have you seen what's in the corner? Have you seen what's in the corner? And yet they were still playing with these bits of tat that I thought, come on, girls, there's something even greater in the corner. And then as soon as they, they locked eyes on those scooters, that was the end of their searching. All afternoon, we were on rainy, cold Felixstowe Beach, going up and down, going up and down on the scooters. That was the end of their search, and they'd seen the scooters. And this morning, I I want to urge you to see afresh Jesus. He is so worthy. He's He's far more worthy than anything else that you could ever set eyes on. Stop playing with the rubbish presents. See the scooter. See Jesus. See him. He's the one. He's the pearl of great price. He's the one who ultimately satisfies. Lay down the things that are distracting you. If you need to, sell them off. Put them to one side. Be radical with them to to see Jesus, the pearl of great price. Refocus on him this morning. He's worthy. Should we stand together? I want to pray for us. We're going to sing in response and then we'll draw things to a close. There's, There's people here this morning, I'm sure, who don't know Jesus. 
There's people here this morning, you've come along and maybe you're like this merchant who was searching for pearls. Maybe you're like him and you're thinking, I'm not satisfied with everything I've found to date. I'm not satisfied. Maybe you're here this morning and you already know Jesus, but you know that all of the pearls that you once collected, they're suddenly shining bright in your attention again. And this morning it's time to make a decision It's time to make a decision about some things that have captured your attention. The Apostle Paul says, you are running well. You are running well. What is it that's hindered you? What is it that's hindered you this morning? Maybe you are running well and you know I was running along and something has has grabbed my attention. We've been watching the World Athletics Championships this week. And the focus that is required... And you see, don't you, when, when the runners start to look to the left and to the right, so oftentimes they start to lose their pace, distracted by the others around. You're running well. What is it that's hindered you? What is it that has taken your attention this morning? What is it that has taken your attention over these months and years gone by? What is it that has taken your eyes off of the king on his throne, the pearl of great price, Jesus? Let's pray, shall we? Father, I just ask this morning that for anyone here who doesn't yet know you, that right now you would shine bright in their mind's eye, that you would shine bright, that you would show yourself to be the pearl of great price, the end of the searching. Lord God, I pray that you'd save people here right now. I pray you'd bring people into your kingdom right now your kingdom of true righteousness, true joy, true peace. I pray you bring people in now. Father, would you touch hearts now? If you're in that camp this morning, you know. You know if you know. You know that you, you haven't treasured him above everything else. Well, this morning, you can respond to him and say, Jesus, I see it's all about you. And I give my life to you. And maybe you're someone who has been distracted. Maybe you have gone back to searching for the little pearls. The unimpressive pearls compared to the great pearl. You've maybe gone back to the praise of men. Maybe you've gone back to, I need more money. I need more comfort. I need more earthly pleasure. This morning, let me call you back to Jesus. See Jesus afresh. See Jesus afresh. He is glorious. He's the king on the throne. He's the best thing you could ever have. Knowing him is far greater than anything else you could possibly know. say to him this morning, Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry I, I got distracted. I'm sorry I, I lost my focus for a season. I give myself afresh to you. I lay down everything that I've prioritized. I lay down the things that have got in the way. I lay down my reputation. I'm prepared to look foolish, Jesus, as I sell off my stuff. I'm prepared to look foolish as I set off my reputation. I'm prepared to look foolish as I say goodbye to the praise of men. Because I want you, Lord. 
I want you to be my number one priority. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.